Chats from the Blog Cabin. Your favorite podcast is here. chats from the blog cabin i'm so excited to bring you a mother and son writing team they wrote the book unraveled and honestly i absolutely love this story so before we get into the book laura and tom why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourselves go ahead tommy yeah i don't know you uh from the book's perspective or you just want to just to just in general yeah i'm i'm uh almost 30 years old. I live in Southern California. I run and uh, operate a small business um, out here. Uh, grew up in Missouri. Played a lot of sports growing up and um, I try to keep that going right now. <laughs> I, play, I play on a roller hockey team out here, men's league. Um, but yeah, it was a couple years ago. Uh, Laura and I um, decided that we wanted to write a book. So, um, it took us a couple of years to complete it. Um, but here we are three, almost four, almost four. So yeah, a little bit about me. Okay. Laura. Um, hi, I am 61 years old. I've been in recovery for 12 and a half years. Tip typically we don't count the half year, but I'm going to count it. Uh, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, with a family that was primarily from Jefferson City, Missouri. And, uh, you know, just a, a nice family, but a lot of alcoholism in my family. And I wasn't going to be that person. So uh, not wanting to be that person, not be that alcoholic, I the demise got a hold of me and, and uh, it shook me up. And uh, it was quite an experience, but I had a lot of uh, support around me and I'm making it sound really easy, but we'll get into it a little bit later. But here I sit sober and grateful uh, for the opportunity to be on your uh, podcast, number one, but also to have had the experience to write this book with Tommy. It was uh, very cathartic and a lot of reviewing of past trauma and pain, which both of us have done a lot of work on in the, in the past several years. And uh you know, if anything else, it's, it's brought us very close. We were prior, but uh, it was it was a great experience. And it, to Tommy's point about, actually, he was the one that brought it up to me. He said, we ought to write a book. And I said, oh, sure, sure. I'd love to write a book. A year later, mom, we really ought to write a book. And I said, really? Okay. So we chipped away and uh, our book was published uh, late November of uh, 2020. It's doing pretty well. And uh, we're grateful for that. 
And uh, we hope for, for those viewers who choose to read the book that they enjoy it. And it helps. That's the objective. So uh, thank you so much. So let's talk about the journey because this journey is a story of addiction. And Laura, the poignant part in the book for me, for you, was when you realized your son had a problem and you're like, I need to stop drinking. Like when you had a car accident and you realized that you need to get well to help your son get well. So let's talk about that. Well, um, I actually stopped drinking before he was in the th throes of his uh, serious addiction. I think that we could say that uh, at the time in, in 2008, I was 48 years old. I had a horrific car accident, one person car accident. And the following day, I couldn't, uh, couldn't remember where I crashed the car. It was 100% uh, blackout for me. Uh, I remember the accident. I just didn't remember where it was. But needless to say, I the next day when I saw the car in the driveway in the morning, I could not believe it. I, I questioned as to whether or not I killed somebody. I had the reality that um, not only could I have killed somebody else, which would have been absolutely horrific, I could have killed myself. And uh, I, you know, I love my children so much. And that's the thing. And my husband, that's the thing about this disease. It why can't that love be enough for me to quit drinking? And my only answer is that, that the disease of addiction is so powerful and so sneaky and so cunning. It tells you you're, you're fine. And, uh, you know, that was a dark moment when I had that car accident. And I believe I had an epiphany and realized that, gosh, what's it going to take next time for me to have this wake up call? I, I mean, it may be too late. So I haven't had a drink since then. It was no, November 1, the night after my last big, big bang hurrah drunk on uh, October 31st on Halloween. And uh, I hear today, get to get to write about it, um, get to get involved in community service, help others. And writing this book with Tommy was just phenomenal. Now, in terms of being sober, when he was going through the depth of his addiction, thank God. And the, and the main, main thing about me personally was being able to maintain my sobriety so I could be there for him because drinking and doing drugs doesn't make anything better. And, uh, through the grace of God, I'm telling you, I, I stayed sober. I stayed close to my program of recovery. I prayed a lot and I want to tell you, it was, um, heartbreaking. It was absolutely heartbreaking, which I'm sure it was for those who love me, who saw me drinking too much. Um, uh, but when it's your own child, you think, God, it's a parenting malfunction. What the hell did I do wrong? Well, of course, I was an alcoholic. Um, but I still felt like I was a pretty uh, devoted, dedicated mother. But, of course, we can't be there all there in our head if we're in our drinking. So, um, anyway, it was it was a very rough ride. And, and, and really, the book is primarily about Tommy's journey and... Um, and what I could do to be there for him, to support him and not enable him. And that was a series of events and learning experiences that I had to grow with in order to be that helpful parent. Do you think because you struggled with alcoholism that you had a better understanding of his addiction and you could kind of empathize with him and help him a little bit more with his struggle? 100%. I mean, understanding and being able to be compassionate are uh, very important elements of, of helping your loved one and your family members. Um, I'm going to have to switch over to Tommy just for one second. I have to let my barking dog out. I apologize for this. I don't want to be a disruption. He's a great dog, but he's not welcome right now. 
<laughs> Not a problem. So Tommy, let's talk about your story and how, sure. you know, cause you started at a very young age with what was it? Pills? Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. I, thank you. I, I started <laughs> young, um, with marijuana at a young age, but I, I ended up on, on pills. Yeah. For, um, quite a while. So, it, <laughs> you know, it was, for me, it was just about trying to fit in. I switched schools a couple times and um, found a group of guys that, you know, I liked hanging out with. And we all kind of started doing the same things at the same times. And um, I kind of took it a step further than a lot of them. And um, my life just started to kind of spiral out of control slowly at first and then towards the end it just it picked up speed and it was just a, a train a disaster train <laughs> so so let's talk about your turning point because your turning point was when you had that fight with your friend right yes it was yeah <clears throat> I, I i kind of knew before that for a while that something was definitely not right um I wasn't, but I wasn't willing at that time to admit to myself that it was, you know, drug addiction or alcoholism. Like I was, I was willing to admit that it was anything but that. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, I had a fight with my friend. I thought I had actually killed him. Um, because I, we, we kind of, we got into a fight and I ended up pushing him over a balcony and, and uh, he landed on his head and um, he ended up being okay. But I woke up the next morning and I was just like, I said to myself, I can't do this anymore. <clears throat> Something is seriously wrong. I obviously can't figure it out. I need help. And, um, that was the end of my using, but the beginning of my recovery. <laughs> so I had no idea the, the, the road that I was taking the long road with all the hard work that was, that was going to lie ahead. But I just knew that it, at that time I was completely done. I couldn't do it anymore. So let's talk about that road to recovery. How did you, get through it because both of you guys had to go through recovery. It's got to be hard, especially if you're addicted to something and you've got your body and needs to crave it. You know, let's talk about the, the emotional, the physical and the psychological. Yeah. Emotionally, emotionally, I, I was like emotionally bankrupt. Like there was no, I was a disaster there. And, and psychologically I was all confused and I didn't know what was going on. And, and, um, Physically, I was broken, like literally I had broken bones and, and I was a mess. And so when I first um, got to my uh, treatment center that I went to, um, my mind wouldn't stop running. It was just a constant battle in my, in my head. And, you know, I, I tell this story a lot to, um, to other sober guys and um, 
when I came out of a little bit of the fog after detox, that there was this guy in the treatment center. And I don't know why I felt like I could talk to this guy. I mean, he was another patient in there and um, he had been there maybe 10 days before me. I, I don't know why I felt like I could talk to him. But I went up to him and I was like, hey, I think I, I was like four or five days sober at the time. And I said, hey, man, <clears throat> I don't know if I can do this. Like, I don't know if I can stay here. Like, I think I have to go. And um, because I was so miserable. And uh, he said, Tom, it gets better every day. You just have to give it another day. And um, I don't know why I listened. Normally, I wouldn't. You know, I'd make my own decisions. And um, that was when I first started listening to, to other people and not my own thinking. Um, because my own thinking got me to in detox. <laughs> so, um, so I listened to him. And I, I'm, I'm still friends with that guy today. And... Um, it did get better every day. Now there, there were days where it, it didn't get better and it got worse, but um, for the most part, every day gets a little bit better. So um, slowly but surely, the psychological started to get better. The physical definitely got better. Started taking care of my body. Um, and emotionally, I just started, that stuff started to, uh, to come back as well. But that, that takes a lot of work too. <laughs> it sure does. It sure does. You know, one of the things that is so interesting about our family is being from a long line of alcoholics. My mother was the first to actually go through a program of recovery. She went to Hazelden, um, 64 years old, and she was sober till the day she died. And ye of little faith here thought, God, there's no way she's going to stay sober, but she sure did. It was a miracle. But in great part due to the fact that she wanted to be sober. She was ready. When, when I had my, my epiphany, I had had several years of looking at myself in the mirror and saying, don't drink too much tonight. And then the next day I could not look at myself in the mirror because inevitably I would come home after having way too much to drink. Um, I had a couple bottles of wine open in the house. I, um, you know, one in the kitchen, one in the bar. So it would look like, oh, she's only having a, a bottle, not two or, and um, I feel like my bottom rose up to meet me because I hadn't killed anyone. I hadn't, strangely enough, I had never had a DWI. I've been stopped several times. Um, you know, I hadn't irreparably damaged relationships with friends and family. And I will tell you, it's, I have the disease of more. And had I continued on that path, it would have been a path of great wreckage not only to myself, but more importantly, to my children and my husband. Um, and Tom's dad, my husband, grew up in a family that understood addiction. His father had started a, a rehab center. He was a physician um, to help a friend of his. And he and two other gentlemen started this um, program based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it was a very successful program for people that, that were able and fortunate enough to be able to attend that program. Um, I did not go to rehab. Not that that matters. Um, I've been looking up rehab centers for two years and my husband said, Oh, you don't want to do that. You have to clean your own, scrub your own bathrooms. And I thought I scrub my own bathrooms anyway. I don't know. It, it, it was just sort of like, 
you know, what a dumb reason not to go. I would find a thousand different reasons why I didn't need to go. And I close my laptop and just sweep the floor and go back into my world of denial because that was easier. I could stay there until six and then have another drink. But uh, I was miserable. I was uh, happy on so many fronts because I had this amazing family, children, husband, life, friends, uh, work, whatever. But I, I had a emptiness inside of me and a hole that I was filling with my addiction. And it was so lonely and so scary and, and so dark. And, um, but I had an amazing support system. And when I, when I decided I couldn't take it anymore, I just decided that I'm going to start going to meetings with a friend of mine who was already in the program. Listen, you know, I was 48 years old. I'm not saying it's easy at 48. It's not easy for anyone. But at 48, it's more acceptable to go to recovery and do a, um, and practice a program of recovery in earnest uh, way. And uh, Tommy was, I can't tell you um, how proud I am of him be, because it's just amazing to me his courage when he was 21 years old. Everybody was drinking. Mm-hmm. Some people were doing recreational drugs. And, and a lot of times those people grow up and it isn't part of their life anymore. A lot of times people die. And a lot of people ruin their lives over it. And um, I think that the day that he had had it after Halloween, coincidentally, we both had our last drunk on Halloween uh, four years apart. Um, he had pretty much made up his mind. Um, I think he was, you know, he could speak for himself about the fears and so forth. But uh, that morning when I saw him, he was bloody and I, he was teaching tennis and I knocked on his door and I said, are you going to work today? And he said, yeah, I don't have to go to 11. And I caught a glimpse of him bloody and hungover. And I said, geez, what does the other guy look like? Because I could tell he'd been in a fight. And he said, oh, not too good, mom. The whole thing's not good. And I said, well, why don't you take a shower and come on down? Well, I realized the iron was hot. I mean, this guy, you know, I could tell that he was broken and ready. I just felt it. Um, Unlike so many times before when we had had conversations about it, and he said he would try on his own and he would detox at home and throw up over the balcony and, you know, just just sort of pace like he was uh, a caged animal because detox can kill you. I mean, it's dangerous, especially with with alcohol and certain kinds of benzodiazepines, well, all benzodiazepines and, and drugs. And uh, I would sit with him and sit with him and my heart broke. It just broke. But I had to try to save him. And um uh, I had to be there. It didn't get to the point of kicking him out of the house, but I think it was one of those things where had we known at the time that he had stolen from us or uh, brought people into the house that were threatening or anything like that, which at that time did not happen as far as I knew. Um, And he was working and allegedly going to community college. (laughs) (laughs) Allegedly. Um, but, uh, you know, the recovery portion is more important almost than getting so. I mean, getting sober is number one, but the, mm-hmm. the ma- maintenance of your sobriety, we don't have to do it alone. There, there are people that if we can become vulnerable and share our fears and our hopes, our dreams, our problems, we have to be able to be honest. That's number one. And getting honest is what you need to do when you admit you're, you're powerless over alcohol and you need to quit or drugs. We have a lot of surrendering to do, surrendering of addiction, surrendering of control, uh, 
surrendering the surrendering of, of concepts of things that we may not understand. And then there comes acceptance that other people are really not our problem. We're our own problem. And um, it's something that we, as long as you're sober, we get to work on it every day of our life. We get to improve our relationships. We get to uh, listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really quite, uh, quite amazing. It really is. And uh, well, all I can say is I can't answer why some people get sober and some people don't. I think that I was given a gift uh, of opportunity and I grabbed it. It's like um, the teacher will come when the student is ready. And I mm-hmm. think I was ready and I think Tommy was ready. And I, I can't really explain it more than that. Let's talk about the impact the addiction, both your addictions had on your family, because you mentioned you have other children as well. Well, uh, I think that um, my alcoholism became somewhat full blown when my youngest one was two. And uh, I got sober about six years later. And, um, you know, I had a couple of incidents of coming home drunk and just going straight upstairs, not wanting the kids to see me. I had incidences of um, making excuses why I passed out on a couch with red wine all over me. And I could see with one of my kids in particular that he was very upset, uh, maybe embarrassed, which they should have been. It wasn't that often that those things happened, but had I had I stayed in my addiction, it would have gotten progressively worse because as we know, addiction is a progressive fatal disease. Um, so I found myself making excuses and uh, it was interesting when I, after I had my, I it had impact, uh, but I was home. I was there. I was available. I did have, um, you know, a, a variety of uh, nannies, people that, that lived at the house from time to time. And that was a fiasco, but I don't know that that really has anything to do with my alcoholism. Um, it just had to do with the fact that working part-time, I wanted an extra pair of hands around, um, but I, th- I think that my youngest son doesn't remember. And I think there was not quite as much impact on my, my third son, but my second and first for sure. When I, when I told the, the, my kids that I had made a decision to quit drinking, I had never promised them that before. And I was after my accident, I waited a couple of weeks to make sure I could really do it because I didn't want to have to um, break a promise. But my, Tommy said to me, oh, mom, you're so much fun when you drink. And that means I'm not going to drive the car around and teepee houses while I'm drunk and run over mailboxes. And uh, my my second son just looked at me very seriously, said, I'm pretty comfortable with your decision not to drink. And and that's really all they said. And over the years, of course, I've been able to be making amends to them all, which is very important. And then and be a living amends which means live up to that immense. And that means not drinking. And uh, it also means working a program and staying close to my program of recovery so that I'm not what they refer to. I'm not sure I like this saying, but dry drunk, somebody who is sober, but doesn't work um, on themselves so that they can experience some growth. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, really we're pretty immature. We don't, we don't mature when we're in our midbrain. Um, all we think about is, is our addiction. And it's amazing how much more free time you have when you're not trying to hide your addiction. It's, <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> so um, I don't know, Tommy could probably answer more to how it was for him. 
with growing up with a mom who had a, a series of years as an active alcoholic. And uh, I know what it was like myself growing up with one who eventually got sober, but I, I swore I wasn't going to be that. I loved her, but I thought, God, I don't respect her. What the hell's wrong with her? Why can't she just control her drinking? Well, I tried that. And I tried it several times. So it did not work for me. I am I am clearly an alcoholic. So, so what about you? What about you, Tom? What about how do you think your addiction impacted your family? Uh, well, I think it impacted them a lot. You know, I, I think that obviously my my mom and my dad were affected um, negatively. I think they were worried a lot and um, bailed me out of bad situations a lot. And, uh, you know, I didn't show up like I was supposed to show up. And um, I think for my brothers, I think, you know, that I created a lot of difficult situations for them. Um, I definitely wasn't there for them emotionally or, you know, I, I think that um, there were a lot of times when they were just fed up with my BS. Um, but I, I can say that I think it also had a positive in, impact on them as well, on what not to do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I know um, there have been specific uh, specific instances in, in each of their lives, each of my brother's lives, where they have made decisions based on uh, what they had seen um, me do or, or how they saw me act uh, when I was using. Um, so I'm not saying that it was a, a good thing that it happened, but they turned a bad thing into uh, a positive, um, you know, for, for some decisions that they've made in their lives. I'll say there's no question about it. I think that was really grounding for them to realize that that is not what they wanted to do. Seeing how much pain and suffering was going on around it and with Tommy, um, I think they made a uh, choice very young that that was not something that they were going to get involved in. And uh, I don't know, they, they don't seem to have addiction issues. Uh, they're still young, uh, 20, 28, 27, 21, um, and a couple are, are in the in the military. So um, not that that means anything, by the way. Yeah. I, I mean, in terms of addiction, mm -hmm. um, I'm just saying that uh, I don't see that with them. And uh, you know, you, you don't know why why does one person have the gene or the predisposition, mm -hmm. or perhaps affected more by the environment? I mean, we do know that. I think I'm not a therapist, but I do um, surrounded by it a lot. And, and I understand a lot of it that in some format, I think uh, addicts share uh, the fact that they've had trauma. I mean, trauma is, um, you know, many, many things. And for me, uh, the trauma was growing up in an alcoholic family with mm -hmm. a exceedingly uh, browbeating verbally abusive stepmother. So my self-esteem was pretty squashed. And, um, you know, and the alcoholism was, um, 
unsettling and I was always scared and afraid and um, just because I knew that that was not what my friends' families, well, some of them perhaps, but a lot of them were not experiencing that. It was embarrassing. You know, it's a lot of things. So Mm -hmm. I experienced that trauma and uh, Tommy can speak to his own and it's it's in the book. I mean, we wrote, he wrote very candidly about what trauma he had experienced uh, with some very serious bullying. Now, did that make him an alcoholic? I don't think so. Is that something that may have contributed to some, um, how he felt about himself? Was he less than? Uh, Sure, it does. It's impossible that it wouldn't. And that combined with um, the get out of hell free card that you feel when you first get your first high, I, I mean, that's a recipe for addiction. So now let's talk about the book. When you guys were writing the book, were there some stories that you guys are both like, I can't believe this happened. And why didn't I know this was happening during this time? Well, well, certainly I don't know that Tommy know that I hijacked a snow cat and veil and drove it on the slopes, but you know, I, I think I did a lot of crazy, crazy stuff. But in terms of Tommy's story about the bullying, I was very well aware of it. And it's not uncommon for somebody who's read the book to say, God, that was absolutely the worst thing I've ever read. It is so heart wrenching. And it is. And even though it seems like years and years that this is going on, this was a series of uh, about a year at a school where we finally decided we've tried to work with the school. We've tried to, you know, we've sought help, professional help as as individually for Tommy and for us to help him. And it was high time to take him out. He had had another experience when we lived in Colorado where, um, you know, he wasn't readily accepted. Um, and he came from an elementary school where he had a, a, a ton of friends. So taking him out of mm-hmm. St. Louis and putting him in this other school was in a foreign school where he knew no one and neither did my other sons was really quite a challenge. But the, the crust of it was this Catholic school that he went to. And I'm not saying that all Catholic schools are bad. I, I think that there's certain orders of uh, monks and and so forth that have different uh, philosophies on how they deal with discipline and especially back in the uh, 90s that were not at all healthy. And I can say that uh, for a fact that, uh, you know, they don't want to turn people away, but they don't address problems head on because they just want to stuff it under the rug. Boys will be boys. Well, I can't stand that mm-hmm. saying. Sure, mm-hmm. boys will be boys. But, but it's sure there's bullying in all formats. I mean, there are. We all experience it. It's sort of a rite of passage. But to the degree that Tommy experienced it and the lack of cooperation from the institution he was in, uh, meaning school, uh, you know, it was very disappointing. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things with four boys, him, Tommy is the oldest. You know, I'm not going to just rip him out of the school right away. We've got to try to see if he can learn some strategies to make it work for him, but it was nearly an impossible situation due to the lack of cooperation. So therefore that was a very traumatic series of events over a period of a year or more. It's terrible. There were, there were um, instances though, when we were writing the book that we did discover about each other, uh, that we had no idea that, that certain things were going on or certain things that had happened. So it was, uh, <laughs> we did find out a lot about each other. I mean, during the course of Tommy's addiction, he was making dinner for everybody after they got home from school and doing some driving. 
my mother was in a uh, care facility, memory care facility. She had Parkinson's and related dementia. It was very ill. My stepfather had had a heart attack and moved in with us. And my stepmother, you know, took her life. And here I am trying to maintain my sobriety and, and just ignoring the elephant in the room with Tommy, seeing as it was progressing a little bit. Um, I don't think that anybody, I never talked about that being a burden, uh, but I can tell you, I don't know how the hell I got through it. It was just one day at a time without complaining. I mean, it's an honor to be able to help take care of your parents, but oh my gosh, but there was just so much all at one time. But, uh, and I'm not, you know, I think that, I mean, I've had a lot of conversations about my own childhood that maybe he wasn't aware of. Um, and some of it was pretty painful, like to me to revisit his bullying. I just felt like, oh my God, why didn't I do something sooner? Well, we did it as fast as we were, as we could in the most methodical way that we can. And we can always go back as human beings and saying, well, I should have done it this way or I should have done it that way. The important part is we were there. And, um, you know, that was, but yeah, there were a lot of things that were revealed and I, I'm sure that will continue to be revealed. Uh, in particular, there are a lot of things that Tommy did that I wasn't aware of at all. And it made me feel like I was so naive. And I thought, God, I, you know, I'm in recovery. I know every trick in the book. I've done it all. But, you know, not all of it. <laughs> not only not all of it, but I'm also human and try to see the good side, you know, and just. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because every parent wants to see the best in their child. They don't want to see the worst in their child. They don't want to see their flaws. They want to see what, what makes them them they want to see the best side of them so i can see part of you were probably saying no and that denial there too when did you finally come to the realization that he had a problem and you really he really needed to get help well in my gut i could see it coming down the pike uh but i knew it when i found pills in his room uh that were hidden and to me that was a big indicator of something far more serious than i could have imagined um you know it's um and it was addressed. And then I started doing room searches and it was on a continuous basis that I would find things that uh, he promised never to do again. And that's part of being an addict. I mean, that's just all part of the part of the uh, demise and the power, powerlessness that the person has and the powerfulness of the gripping, cunning disease. So it's, uh, I would say probably, you know, a year and a half into it, um, maybe with a year and a half left. It was, it was amazing because he hit his bottom relatively quickly as a young man, uh, 21. Um, but there were a series of things that might be an indicator that that was something coming down the pike, you know, smoking pot and, and sleeping a lot and starting out that way. And you always think, oh, well, you know, it's just a, he'll get over it. He'll get through it. You hope. And then you have a reality check with it. And, and you say, you know, sometimes at least back then, now people are much more, uh, they're better communicators and mm -hmm. feeling comfortable with being a little vulnerable. But back then we all had to look good. Like, okay, you know, mm -hmm. my kids are looking good. The house is clean. Um, you know, they're dressed properly, they're athletes, we all look good, no one will ever know what the hell's going on. And, you know, I realize how sick that is. Yep. Um, because the saving grace is in the honesty. It's okay, we all, we all have things in our life that are not perfect. If anything, nothing's perfect. 
but uh, we all have challenges. And it's okay to ask for help. Oh my God, that was like the hardest thing in the world to ask for mm -hmm. help, wasn't it, Tommy? Yeah, you it think, took a yeah. lot. <laughs> What'd you say? It took a lot. Yeah. Because <laughs> we want to do it on our own. We've got it under control. It doesn't take that. It doesn't take that much now to ask for help. I can tell you that much. Oh, much better. Yeah. Yes. So, Tom, your mom said it was your idea to write the book. So, why did you decide you wanted to write it with your mom? Oh, I don't. I think it. The thought just popped in my head one day. I thought that um, a, a mother-son duo of sobriety is kind of cool and. Um, obviously there's a, there's a bunch of people that have done it like that. Um, but I just thought we had a, uh, a cool story to, to share and it might help some people. And, um, I just thought, why not? And Laura, you were totally on board when he came to you or it took you what, how many, how long till you get, did you get I on board? I think it took me another year after he asked me, I said, oh, sure. that will be great. And uh, then when we did it, we wrote the first four chapters um, and we had some some help, which was great. I mean, being an English major doesn't make you an author. But uh, holy, when we read it, I thought it was the worst thing I ever read in my life. I'm like, this thing is so flowery and so full of you know what, that this is not at all great. Tommy goes, I don't know. It's okay, mom. And I'm like, uh-uh, we have to start completely over. This is ridiculous. All the flowery conversation in there is not who we are. We're both very direct and uh, honest, um, I will say, and willing to be honest. Um, you know, you can't incorporate everything in a book, right? I mean, you can't tell every single story, but um, I think the objective when we started writing it was to be honest, to show people uh, what, what sobriety has meant to us, what the journey was like getting there, and that uh, is Tommy, and I don't want to um, tell everything in the book, but you know, he said, basically, if I can get sober, anybody can get sober. And that's the way I feel as, a, as sort of what people would consider a suburban housewife alcoholic, um, you know, people who like their wine, which is me. Yes, I am an alcoholic. And yes, I, I did get sober. And, and I'm telling you, if I can do it, anyone could do it because I never thought I would be that person. And I was, and I, and, uh, when I say I did it, I, I had help. I called people for help. And, uh, so we're, our hope in the book is that people will understand that reaching out is not, mm -hmm. uh, as they say, um, a confession of failure. It's a, um, it's a, it's a hope that, uh, you could make a better life for yourself. Um, and your family. And that's actually a quote from a friend of mine, Dick Sattler, who started the Exodus program, which is a rehab facility in St. Louis. It's no longer around. And he passed away several years ago. But really, it's not it's not a confession of failure. It's a confession. It is a confession that is healthy. Um, and, and why shouldn't we have every opportunity or give ourselves a chance to live a life with some joy? I mean, sh stuff happens. I will tell you, I mean, we we people die, people get sick, life still goes on. But when you're armed with sobriety and some tools in your program of recovery, you are better able to, I'm not saying you're not going to grieve 
or be sad or be frustrated or be mad or be angry. But, but we can be more aware of what that is when it comes up so that we can deal with it as opposed to going to the bottle or the pill or, you know, the racetrack or the shopping mall or whatever your addiction may be or sex. We can actually be somewhat, somewhat level-headed about what our options are and what our solutions are going to be. And so that's, what, that's what sobriety does. So let's talk about the process of writing the book since you're in on the East coast or sort of on the East coast and he's on the West coast. How did you guys write it? Did you guys like take a chapter each and try to write it and tie it in or how'd you guys do it? Well, we had somebody help us with the formatting of the book. And so we did it all through uh, phone conversations, email, um, and I did a tremendous amount of editing, even when the editor did it they rearranged the whole book and I, I i rearranged it again so it was really quite a grueling process because one of my character defects is being a perfectionist mm. and so that was tough where tommy uh was much more easygoing about the process i mean he tommy was better his strength was in the um the phone interviews and 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 reading things but then sharing it uh, verbally where mine was stronger in writing it so those were some good combinations um and it, it really was a tough process I'll, I'll tell you i was dissatisfied with some of the people i came across that were trying to help us and i was satisfied with others but when we got to the publishing portion of it that's where it really got tough and uh there were so many people that were instrumental in helping us get this book out that I am forever grateful. But you want to talk about neophytes going into a, a world of, of uh, something they've never been in, and which is, you know, being a neophyte, I, I had no idea what to expect. It was very, very challenging, very frustrating, very time consuming. But you have to work through those times because the end result is a finished product. And one of the hardest parts about writing the book and, and getting to the editing portion is realizing that your book is finished because mm -hmm. every time I read it and we had worked on it for three years or more, um, I thought, oh my gosh, but I've had so much growth and Tommy's shown so much growth since then. We need to change this part and this part and this part. Well, then that takes another six months. And then where does it end? At some point you have to end the book and just say, this was a period in time in our life that was a very good positive reflection of where we were in our sobriety and a real honest truth about how we ended up becoming addicts and what we did about it, that it's very relevant. So where we are today may be uh, maybe a little wiser, um, still working very, very hard, still still realizing our faults and problems as they, as they erupt, because it, we have a lifetime to work on ourselves. And, uh, but, but I will say there were times uh, where I had to put the book down, and, and Tommy can speak to that too, where I just couldn't look at it for a week. I needed some space, um, stayed up all night. I worried about it. Oh my gosh. When the book came out, I, I, that was really nerve wracking to me. I go, Oh my God, the book's out. It's finished. It's in print. There's no turning back. People have bought it. And I kept reading it going, where did I go wrong? Where did I go wrong? And, uh, it was crazy. And then you, you cut, you come to believe that, Hey, we did the best we could. The bottom line is that we've gotten really strong feedback in terms of who we've reached and and it your ultimate goal is is just to reach somebody 
Just reach anybody. Anybody can benefit from from understanding they're not alone. Were there like times where you guys wanted to, somebody said, cut this from the book and you're like, no, it absolutely has to stay in because it's part of our story. Absolutely. And there were things we did have to cut from the book because they weren't uh, appropriate. And as I have been taught by other people, the program, we'll share those events when we're ready to share those with people who we feel like we can share those events with. <laughs> will it, um, will it change the nature of our book by not putting in there? No, it will not. I'm happy to share any of that stuff with anyone on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Um, I am too. Yeah. If, if I'm talking to somebody else that is struggling, I'm willing to share anything and everything about my life. Um, it's hard to, it's hard to share that stuff, some of that stuff to everyone in, in the world, you know? So, um, on a one-on-one -on -one basis, I'm more than happy to share anything. So I think our, our objective is to make sure that, that uh, for those people that are not familiar with addiction, that perhaps suspect they have a mm -hmm. friend or a family member that's in trouble, or maybe they're in trouble themselves, is not to scare them. Um, but, but to be open and honest enough and not lose them in the, in the details of our drunkologues. You know, we have to share a little bit of what we did and, and, and why we chose to quit drinking, but all those details are not as important as uh, what happened, what we did about it, and what is it like now um, in a way that the, that the general population can relate to. Um, you know, not everybody's going to relate. I read a review the other day about us. Not everyone's going to relate to Tommy's athleticism and what a, mm -hmm. what a part of the book that was for him the ups and downs of, of being an incredible athlete, for example, but you know, there, not everything is um, going to sink, but I think the book is relatable mm -hmm. to most people because we didn't, um, we didn't write, get caught up in. Yeah. Honestly, we didn't get caught up in the drunk mm -hmm. log as much as we could have. Yeah. And I want to actually applaud you guys for having the courage to write about it because a lot of people want to cover things up that are flawed in their lives and don't want to help each other. So I hope this story helps somebody, anybody we, that picks up the book. I hope so too. And I hope that people are comfortable reaching out to us on our website. There's an email. They can email us privately. Uh, nobody will see those emails. We're happy to help in any way we can. Again, we're not therapists. Uh, I'm a certified sober coach. Um, I have the education. Tommy has the experience. He's, he's worked in rehab facilities. Um, we are addicts ourselves. We have lived with addiction um, with our parents. Tommy, you know, obviously living with me. So we've, we've had it from all sides. And uh, we are happy to, to share what we know um, or listen. Um, and we hope that we have gotten a lot of feedback from people and a lot of really incredible notes and emails and questions. And uh, we, we love that because that means somebody is thinking seriously about our book is a way to open up the conversation for them mm -hmm. or for, for somebody in their family. And um, to me, that's all this was about. Um, it was quite a journey and it was absolutely a journey getting to the point where we could even write a book. Um, but I, but I, that's our hope and, and being able to, to be on podcasts and, 
and share those feelings and, and strengths and, and vulnerabilities is is very important. So we appreciate any opportunity uh, being on your podcast, for example. It's it's really really helpful that that we could try to reach listeners and um, you know who might question themselves or someone else that, that they love around them. Now let's talk about now, before we get off, um, being on the recovery side and helping people going through recovery now, that's like a full circle with your addiction, isn't it? I, you know, I better let Tommy speak to that because he, he does a great deal of community service and as do I, but our, our basic philosophy is we can't keep what we have without giving it away. I mean, we, we, somebody was there for us, not somebody, many people on many occasions were there for us. What is the best way to keep me in the middle of the boat is by helping others if they want help, if they want it. And just, I remember what it was like. I was there and it keeps me, it keeps me humble. Um, it allows me to examine myself. I learned so much from people I help. And so, um, that's how I get to maintain my sobriety is by, is by giving it away. Tom, what about you? Yeah, I, I, I think it goes, I think it's a lifestyle change. It's kind of a entire in everything that you do, um, switch. And so, you know, yeah, I, I try and help other people that are struggling and, and, um, be there for people that are and, and kind of not tell them what to do. But if I've been through the same thing, tell them what I did to get through it and let them kind of make their own decision about it. But, um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, I try to focus on the little things too, um, in my life that, that I can change and kind of help out. Um, you know, if I'm at the grocery store or, um i'm and i'm leaving and and i have my shopping cart that i i'm gonna put away maybe grab another one um that's just laying there and put both of them away um little things like that for me set me up um to do bigger helpful things so it starts with the little things for me and um you know i have to do that stuff every day and as much as i can or else you know um, I can revert back to my old ways. So I just have to make sure that I'm keeping up with that stuff and, and, um, helping people when I can. And, and one of the ways that keeps me sober. I, th I think the spiritual connection is extremely important and that's very individualized. I'm not, I'm not saying religious. If religious religion is your, is your, um, connection, that's awesome. Um, I connect through nature. Um, I believe in a higher power. I think getting quiet and giving yourself a time to just listen um, in, in a peaceful environment is incredibly important, which I know Tommy does too. We do some readings and things. But when I start to feel irritable and, and discontent, then what am I passing around in the world? I'm passing around my crabby mood and my resentments. And so it's really important to, um, try to wake up with gratitude and, uh, to try to reflect on, um, what your goals or mission might be for the day. I mean, you know what it's like when you see people 
and you offer them a hand or hold a door open for them or a smile or whatever it might be uh, that you're passing along that good energy. And then when we're not feeling right, we're really passing along. It has that ripple effect. And it's, and that's true for anyone, not just recovering alcoholics. But I think that we have a, a obligation to ourselves to be more accepting of the world around us. And let me tell you, it's not easy. It's just not, but, um, you know, we have to, I have to work myself every day. And when I'm not feeling right, I, I can do a direct dial to my, spiritual um connection like what am i doing to take care of myself today Mm -hmm. so that i can be the person that i really want to be and and one of the other things Mm -hmm. i want to say too is that when tommy tommy was born a really happy baby he was the most amazing laugh cute sweet big-hearted always big-hearted guy And to me, what sobriety, and he's an example of this, what sobriety gives you is that chance to be that person that you were always meant to be. Because when we're, we're, uh, you know, shackled with addiction, we are not the people we were meant to be. We are these people that have come from hell. Mm -hmm. And to make everyone else miserable as well as ourselves and, and, and possibly cause danger for us and those around us. And it's, it's awful. So the sobriety gives us that opportunity to be the people we were always meant to be, which is um, pretty cool opportunity. Okay. I, got, I want to thank you guys for being on. Tell people where they can find you at. Well, so if you're interested in the book, you can order it from your favorite mom and pop shop. I, I, I believe in shopping local and it is available. It's a digital book. You just have to say, uh, can you order unraveled by laura and tom bolt uh b-o-l-d-t you can also visit our website at www.unraveledthebook.com that's unraveledthebook.com and you can you can see our podcast which we will post this podcast on that website as well and promote your podcast uh that's where you can find our book and our podcast um you can order from amazon um barnes and noble uh, so any, anywhere where you like to buy books. And if they want to get in contact with you, they just need to go to your website and there's emails where they can just contact you through there. Correct. They can send us an email through the website. Absolutely. Many people have, and we well, look forward to it. If you do. Yeah. <laughs> Tom and Laura, I want to thank you so much for taking par- part of your day out to come and talk about this amazing book guys i cannot say enough about this book i started reading it and could not put it down because as a mom you feel for it i have three daughters and so it just i was like what if my daughters had gone through this and just just seeing the love of the mother and son and how you guys managed to maintain your relationship through all this too as well is amazing Thank you. Thank you. And, and God bless you. Three daughters. Woo. I think boys are easier. You can raise them out in the garage. <laughs> oh, my God. oh my gosh. That's wonderful though. That really is wonderful. And I can't thank you enough for having us on your podcast. Yes. Thank you very much. All right, guys, we will see you on the next chat from the blog cabin. Bye. Bye. Chats from the blog cabin. Subscribe and don't miss the next episode.